And please turn in your Bibles again to the book of Ephesians and the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians as we continue our study in this epistle. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Let's hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to read down through. We're going to start in four and verse one. And read down through verse 13. Actually, verse 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God's of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended into the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all have attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. The grass withers a flower phase, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. I would ask you to let's go to prayer. Pray for me as I seek to preach this text. Pray for yourselves as well as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we bow before you in all humility as we recognize that unless your spirit works, unless you bless Unless, oh God, God, you were with me as I preach, unless you were with the people as they hear, that it will be all for no good purpose. So I pray, Lord, that you would be with us by your grace, that you would be with me as I preach, as I confess I'm not sufficient for these matters that are before me. And be with the congregation, O oh Lord, as we all need your grace to understand. We ask you to apply your word to us. We pray, O oh God, that we would be benefit from having been here this morning to worship uh, to sit under the proclamation of your word. Oh, Lord, we ask that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We pray that if any are here today that are outside of faith, that you would use this to bring them to a knowledge of Christ. We also pray that we would leave here having a much greater understanding of the greatness of our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man many years ago who was inspired by working or seeing the workings of a meatpacking house. And also of a mill conveyor belt. He was a man who wanted to build automobiles and he desired to make them cheaper and more available for the masses of the people. And so in 1913, Henry Ford brought the assembly line set up with 80, uh, I think 81 different stations. Each person at each station had one job to do. And it made automobiles more available. And it also made them less expensive. 
I've heard that at Bucky's, which is, if you've never been inside of Bucky's, you ought to go inside of Bucky's. It's really amazing. But I've heard, and my wife told me this, it's got to be right, that the people that make fudge, that's all they do, they make fudge. The people that do the nuts, that's all they do is do the nuts. The people that work in the meat, that's all they do is work in the meat. Sort of, uh, is a um, uh, division of labor. Well, in the text this morning, the Apostle Paul speaks to us about a division of labor in the church. That each person in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been given a particular gift. And each person in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to use that gift. To use it faithfully. To use it for the glory of God. To use it for the good of the people. And it is uh, that though we have unity in the Lord Jesus Christ, here are the differences that Paul brings out. There are differences among us. Everyone does not have the same gift. We are all gifted differently, but those gifts, again, are to work in concert for the glory of Christ and the good of God's people. It happens to see this this morning. Since Christ has given gifts to every member of his church, the members are to use those gifts for the building up of God's people. Three things this morning, then. The Christian spiritual gifts are given according to the wisdom of Christ, and then according to the triumph of Christ, and then according to the exaltation of Christ. And I've got to tell you this. What I read here at this last verse, that he might fill all things, speaks volumes of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And read other places as well. After he had purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the glory on high. Christ and his greatness. We have not begun to grasp the depths of the power of the Lord Jesus. May he get that to us, grant that to us this morning as we go through this. Well, the first thing then. Our spiritual gifts are given according to the wisdom of Christ. And we can ask this question first and answer this question as well. What is a spiritual gift? If we all have them, well, what is a spiritual gift? Well, it is a God-given ability to be used for the good of the church. And they are not the same as natural gifts. When people are born, many of them have remarkable talents, like Scott, for example. Some people can sing, some people can paint, some people can do all kind of marvelous and wonderful things that are natural gifts and natural talents. It's not the same thing as a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are given to us when we are converted by the Spirit of Christ, and those gifts are to be used for the work of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great distinction between those gifts, between the talents or the natural gifts And again, the gifts that are given to us by the Spirit of God, those spiritual gifts that are ours, because they are given for a specific reason, and everyone shares alike in some kind of spiritual gift in the church. Those gifts are distributed according to the will of Christ, as he says here in the text. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is common in the conversion of Christians. There is the necessity of God's grace to be at work for us to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're dead in your trespasses, it seems, read in the Scripture. Not sick, not terribly ill, dead in our trespasses and sins, according to what God's Word tells us. And the only way for us to come to Christ is by being born again. That's the work of the Spirit of God. That He quickens us. He makes us alive and he draws us to himself in loving kindness so that we come freely to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as we recognize we are in a pitiful condition, a very dangerous position 
as well. That's common. That's a common experience that we all share, all of us who are believers. But there is another aspect of this grace, and that is Christ gives different gifts to different people according to his own good pleasure. Now, some of those gifts are very obvious, are they not? The work of the deacon. You'll see deacons in the church. They're doing particular things that recognize that guy's a deacon because I can see what he's doing there. The elders, they're the ones that teach. They're the ones that visit you in the hospital. They're the ones that uh, are burdened over your soul. And he holds you up before the Lord in prayer. Now, those are obvious gifts that God gives to his people. And so he says to those who hold this position in Acts 20 and verse 28, be careful to pay attention to yourself and to all the flock. Uh, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood, the work of the elder. But the gifts are not quite so obvious, are they? Uh, And they're not quite so obvious because they are not seen. Some people have the gift of encouragement. Some people have the gift of hospitality. Some people have the gift of compassion. Some people have the gift of generosity. And these are spiritual gifts, again, that God gives to us people for the working of, the good of, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here again, we see the beauty of the unity and the, diverse, and the uh, differences between us. Because it is for a building up of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that some people have uh, an extraordinary gift for praying. You hear some people pray, it's like, it's like you know, the angels gather round to hear that prayer. Uh, many of you know the Dalahans, and I've told this before to the congregation, I think, likely. And uh, Ruth Dalahan, their mother. Oh, you could sit and listen to her pray and pray forever. Because she was so rich in the depth of her thinking, in the depth of her love for Christ. One Wednesday evening, we had a prayer meeting, and after we left and came to our cars, uh, one of my sons said, that prayer should be written down. That's how rich it was. And it's like she had a gift for it. And I think that it's true that some people have this great ability to pray. And you can sit and listen to them, and it's marvelous and it's wonderful as we hear them going up to the throne of grace and offering up their petitions and praises to God as well. It is indeed a pleasure to hear them pray, a grand gift indeed. So all people are gifted in different ways, do not all have the same gift. And some people were distinguished in the Bible for their gifts. You got, for example, uh, Abraham's faith, Job's patience. Moses is known for his meekness. Timothy was known for his temperance, and on it goes. Now, those gifts that God gives to us, we are to use them. You remember the parable of the talents when Jesus told this story about this man who had uh, uh, workers, and he gave one five talents, he gave one two, he gave one one talent. And so uh, the owner comes back at the end of a particular, tier, a particular time, and uh, so the one that had five is gained ten, the one that had two is gained four, the one that had one is gained nothing. He took it and hid it in the ground. And he said, I knew you were a hard man. Here's what I gave to you. Now, take it. Take it back. It's yours. And what happened? Well, the man was chastised for not using the gift that had been given to him. And they took it and gave it to the one who had ten. God expects us. God expects you as a believer to be involved in the life of the church. And the church is not simply here in this building. 
you know, if, if our understanding of the church is that from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning, this is the church. No. This is the church represented in that time, but the church is the body of Christ. And we have ministry way outside of these walls. Every day of the week, we have opportunities to minister to one another. And that's what he's calling us to here in this text. And the difference that exists between us, it is due to the, the uh, wisdom and the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are not all alike gifted. And as Christians, we need to recognize and evaluate our gifts properly according to the measure of grace. Romans twelve three through 8. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. A sober evaluation of what God has given to you. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's the same thing that Paul is saying uh, over in Ephesians. Uh, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts... That differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So that whatever our calling is, whatever we are involved in, whatever we are doing in the church to do so with an idea that God has given me this, I am to use it and I recognize I can do this and no more. Go no further than I am gifted. So, Luke, not everyone is called to preach. Not everyone is called to teach in the church. But each calling that we have is given by Christ to us, and it is to be exercised. It is to be exercised faithfully. Again, for the building up of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Different gifts, different levels of gift. Different abilities, all assigned by the Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. So you cannot say, I am not gifted. You cannot say, I can't do anything. You can't say that. And again, those gifts that are not so obvious are vital to the well-being of the church. There are people that are hurting in the church. And there are people that have a great gift of compassion in the church. Those people need to be involved in the lives of those who are hurting Show them compassion and show them kindness and seek to encourage them in their lives. That's the way the church is supposed to function. That's the way the body of Christ is supposed to function. So the Christian spiritual gifts are given according to the wisdom of our great Savior. The second thing is that the spiritual gifts are given according to the triumph of Christ. That's what Charles read from the Old Testament. Uh, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does that mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Oh, what is this teaching us here? Well, the people in the days of the Apostle Paul would have understood this. There is a book that was written by General Pompey, and in that book there is it's a fiction book. There's an account of him coming into the city after a great victory in battle. And he enters, enters in by this archway, and he's riding in his chariot. And behind him are captives, people that have been taken prisoner. Behind those people, all kinds of materials, gold, uh, 
all sorts of possessions, animals, all kind of things that he has captured in his victory. And as he is going through the town, there are great accolades. There are great praises. There's great rejoicing. So the people that read this psalm and the people that Paul is addressing would have understood this kind of thing. Like Charles said, we don't see these kinds of things anymore really here. No great parade of our soldiers coming back in victory. No great honoring of any kind of general that was victorious in one particular battle. But in the days that this was written, they would have well understood this. And the Psalm 8 is a reference to the victory of God and God's leading of the Old Testament people. And so he went out before them in the, after the Exodus. Mount Sinai trembled before him. This is verse 8. He scattered the enemies before his people. God traveling with a mighty army to Zion. He ascending the mountain as a victorious king. That's what this psalm's talking about. Now, Paul takes this psalm and applies it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does it mean here when it says he led captive captives is the way, uh, another way to translate that, which is not wrong at all. He led captives captives in his train. What is this meaning? It's meaning that when the apostle, when, when the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, the imagery there is he had in his train, following him, a train like a, a, a wedding gown. There's a long train, some of them do, that follow behind uh, the bride. Well, this image here is Christ ascending. And behind Christ were the captives. Well, who were the captives? Well, it was death. It was hell. It was the law that condemns us. As Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not to say the law is not to be obeyed. But when I sin, when I break the law, there's the Lord Jesus Christ interceding for me. And he took the law captive and he took it and defeated the law as far as his condemnation against me as one who is a human being. He led captives captives in his robe, the powers of Satan, the dread of death, the power of the law to condemn again. In Colossians two thirteen through 15, listen to this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Do you take that lightly? There's not a sin that God holds against you if you're a believer, if you're trusting in Christ. Not one sin that you've ever committed does God say you went too far at this point. And therefore, I am not going to allow you into my heaven. That's not true. If we are trusting Christ, no matter how heinous the act we may have committed might be, he does not hold it against us. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us in the legal, in the legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities that put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It was a complete victory that the Lord achieved by his life, death, and resurrection. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the powers of hell that may come against us will not have victory over us. 
because Christ has secured us a place in glory. And the accusations that Satan will surely bring against us before the throne, and we certainly have reasons for him to accuse us. Jesus, they're pleading our case before the Father. He belongs to me. He led captive captives in his train. He defeated the powers of hell and the powers of death and the powers of condemnation by his work on the cross of Calvary. And as he did ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, it says here. There's the picture of the king in the Old Testament. Paul applies this psalm to Christ as the fulfillment of this psalm in the Old Testament. And what are the gifts he gives? Well, the gifts he gives have been mentioned. And there is no exhaustive gifts, a list of the gifts in the Bible. We're not going to deal with the gifts that he mentions here this morning. But this is not exhaustive. Everyone has the ability to pastor or to minister to others around them in the church. Because Christ, number one, calls us to it. And number one, he has gifted you for it in some way or another. The gift that he has given by his victory. The fact that he, the, the victory of Christ and the, the fact that he gives us demonstrates how grand it was. Don't you see that? Last night I had a dream. I was preaching this text. And somebody said, I want to order onion rings with, us, with that order. Some onion rings. I dreamed that. Not sure why. But then I got all upset. I started walking around saying, what's the matter with you people? And we weren't in, it was, we were sitting like couches and stuff. It was a very strange dream. So pay attention. Don't let the dream come true. This is absolutely marvelous and amazing to me, what Paul says here. He led captives, captives, our enemies, those who would destroy us, those who destroy the church. He has taken their power away from them. Now, does Satan still tempt us? Yes. Does he still have power? Yes. But he says this to him concerning us here and no further. Here and no further. He's mine. And you have no power over him. Listen to this. There's nothing that Satan can do or say or create before God that will cause us to be condemned before our great God. Christ has defeated all those powers, and he gives gifts to his children that we may use them for the good of his church. Again, the last thing is that the spiritual gifts are given according to the exaltation of Christ. Here again, he says he ascended on high. After the resurrection, Jesus was upon the earth for 40 days. We don't know exhaustively what he did. There are ten appearances in the New Testament of Christ coming to his disciples and talking to them, meeting with them, the two men on the road to Emmaus. Very, very interesting account in Luke chapter 24. But apart from those few accounts, we don't have any more knowledge. We do know this. Romans 1 verse 4 says he was raised from the dead and declared him to be the Son of God. A declaration, the authenticity of the claims of Christ, the resurrection of the dead. But it is as this one ascended on high that he gave those gifts to men. He ascended, he says here, what does it mean? But he ascended also into the lower parts as well. So Paul's basically saying he ascended. What does it mean except he also descended? In the lower parts of the earth, this is not speaking of the time between the resurrection of Christ, I mean the death of Christ and his resurrection. This is speaking of the incarnation. He descended. He had not he not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to necessarily hung, uh, clung to, but made himself of no reputation, taking on that of a servant. 
He descended into the world, taking flesh upon himself in order that he may live, in order that he may suffer, in order that he may gain great victory over Satan and sin and death. All for Jesus, as the hymn says, all for Jesus. Think if he had not descended. Did Jesus decide to do this on his own? Did he decide? Did he willingly come into the world? And the answer is yes. He willingly came and took flesh upon himself and lived among the world, among us, uh, among the people of his time. Well, think if there was no gospel. If he had not come, there would be no gospel. If he had not descended, there would be no future hope. If he had not descended, there would be no certainty of heaven. In fact, there would be no heaven for us at all had he not descended into the lower parts and live among us and minister among us and take our guilt amongst himself upon the cross of Calvary. But then he ascended. And look at what it says here. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things that he might fill all things. This is Christ. What does this mean that he might fill all things? Well, look into, listen to what he says in the book of, I quoted this earlier, but let's look at it. In the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews in the first chapter. Long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by his prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom he made the worlds. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Christ. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's just, he made it. Send it up to the highest place of all that he might fill all things. The meaning is this, that Christ would have power and influence over everything that is. Here's a question. Did Christ not have that before the incarnation? Were things not already all his? Did he not rule over all things before the incarnation? The answer was yes, he did. But there's a difference now, you see. Because now he has come in the form of a servant. He has one victory over sin and death and condemnation for us, and he's at the right hand of God. He is the risen Lord. He is the one who has secured our place in glory. He is the one who is to be adored and worshipped. He is the one who has given us hope for tomorrow and comfort for today. And he is filling all things moment by moment, day by day. Again, we have not begun to grasp the depth of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. He fills all things. He has the highest place of honor in all creation at the right hand of God. I asked you earlier as I was introducing the sermon that um, uh, to the illustration of the, the, the um, Ford Motor Company and the assembly line. And imagine for a moment that we're all working in this plant. We're all working, doing our job. And high above us, we see this office, and there's a big glass window there in the office, and there's the boss. He's watching all of us, the things that we do, the things that we don't do, the attitudes that we have. He's watching all of us. Christ is watching all of us right now throughout the days of the week. And he is asking us, how faithful are you being to minister? How faithful are you being to use the gifts that I have given to you for 
the good of my people, for the glory of myself. You know, um, we must not ever, ever, and I think too many people do this and have done it for years, not uh, just here, but I think this is a habit of believers, that when we leave here on Sunday morning, we kind of get caught up with the affairs of our lives and we kind of forget about really what we should be doing day in and day out uh, as living as Christians into this fallen world. And we don't minister. And we don't care. And we don't work. And we don't labor. Because we're so busy with the things of our lives. But the gifts that God has given to us, the gifts that Christ has given to us, are to be used constantly as we have opportunity. We are to keep the Lord before us as his people. And if you have no interest whatsoever in honoring Christ, if you have no interest whatsoever in laboring for the cause of the gospel, it's very likely that you're not a believer and you need to come to faith. But if you are trusting Christ, where are your interests? Where's your passion? Where's your desires? What gift has God given to you? And look at the opportunities he has placed you in to use those gifts for the work of the kingdom, for the glory of Christ and the good of his people. Let's pray.